Now, before we move on, we'll briefly look at the regulation of beta oxidation. Now, the regulation of beta oxidation is somewhat considered to be coarse regulation, kind of coarse or, you know, it's not fine-tuned regulation. There are basically two, two sides of regulation. One is hormone-sensitive lipase. So in the fasting state, you have low insulin-glucagon ratio. This is, this is going to activate hormone-sensitive lipase. Epinephrine can also activate hormone-sensitive lipase. So basically, you're regulating the lipolysis by hormone-sensitive lipase, yeah? the rate of lipolysis. So when you want to increase the rate of beta-oxidation, you first have to increase the rate of lipolysis. Yeah? And that typically happens in the fasting state or in the... Uh, before the flight or the fight response. Okay. Now the next level of regulation is the entry of fatty acids into the mitochondria and that is by malonyl-CoA. So malonyl-CoA inhibits CPT1. So when you have high levels of malonyl-CoA, it inhibits CPT1. So fatty acid synthesis will not happen at the same time as beta-oxidation. In other words, when you have low levels of malonyl-CoA, and that typically happens in the fasting state, CPT1 becomes active. So CPT1 is inhibited by malonyl-CoA. High levels of malonyl-CoA, typically in the fed state, will inhibit beta-oxidation, but low malonyl-CoA, which occurs in the fasting state, will actually activate beta-oxidation. But once it enters into the matrix of the mitochondria, once you have acyl-CoA in the matrix, it will undergo beta-oxidation. So there is no regulation at the site or at at what's called as beta oxidation proper. Okay? That's why it's sometimes called as coarse regulation. So you're basically looking at the levels of the fatty acid, which is the substrate of beta, beta oxidation, and you're regulating the entry, that is CPT1. Okay? Now there are other fatty acid oxidation, different kinds. So we have seen the major one, that is beta oxidation which can more commonly occurs for even chain, a small component is odd-chain fatty acid oxidation. Now, there is this organelle called as the peroxisome. How many of you remember it? Yeah, you remember it from term one. So peroxisome has many important jobs. Yeah? One of them is oxidation of fatty acids. Yeah? Typically, it oxidizes fatty acids which are longer than 22 and these, this group of fatty acids is called as very long-chain fatty acids. Note that this is not long-chain, but very long. So peroxisomes, yeah, peroxisomes basically oxidize the very long-chain fatty acid, make them shorter, and then they transport it to the mitochondria where it is oxidized later. Okay? So it basically brings, makes a very long-chain fatty acid shorter into a long-chain fatty acid, then sends it to the mitochondria for beta-oxidation. Now, there is a disorder, an inherited disorder, where if you look at the liver of, the, of these children, a very severe disorder, you find that the peroxisomes are not developed. So this is basically a peroxisomal biogenesis disorder. So you find ill or maldeveloped peroxisomes in the liver as well as in the brain of the children. A characteristic finding is levels, very high levels of C26 or C24 fatty acids. Now note that this is quite a severe disorder because all peroxisomal functions are going to be affected. 
because there are no peroxisomes in these in these children typically characterized by neurological manifestations liver enlargement and and later liver cell failure and these are typically fatal and there is no treatment at present now what is accumulated in uh, in these children are the very long chain fatty acids and this very is very important okay don't tell me it's long chain it's very long chain fatty acids yeah now the second disorder is linked to a different kind of oxidation and this is called as alpha oxidation where the alpha carbon atom of the fatty acid is ba basically oxidized not the beta carbon atom as in beta oxidation now alpha oxidation is important for a group of fatty acids called as branched chain fatty acids now branch chain fatty acids we do, usually do not make branch chain fatty acids but we get it from the diet now if you look at the dietary sources it's basically the dairy products that contain branch chain fatty acids now these branch chain fatty acids one example of a branch chain fatty acid is phytanic acid which is a classical example of a branch chain fatty acid what happens is phytanic acid undergoes oxidation in the same organelle that is peroxisomes but in children with refsum disease what happens is that pathway is defective that means alpha oxidation of phytanic acid or the branch chain fatty acids is basically defective now it's characterized by varied um, effects typically affecting the eye so visual defects and it it can also result in neurological changes now the fatty acid that is accumulated in these children is phytanic acid also called as phytanate phytanic acid which is a classical example of a branched chain fatty acid now these children the disorder is much less severe than children with zellweger syndrome because in these children with refsum disease they still have the peroxisome but they are lacking one function that is alpha oxidation so it's basically one defect within the peroxisomes whereas zellweger syndrome tends to be more severe because the children do not you know the cells do not have the peroxisomes okay so pay attention to these disorders and what is defective in in these disorders so zellweger syndrome as well as refsum disease so one of the modes of treatment is you can try to restrict the branch chain fatty acids or try to restrict the dairy products now a small note on omega oxidation so omega oxidation is typically a very minor pathway in metabolism or fatty acid oxidation basically what happens in omega oxidation is you remember the the omega carbon atom of the fatty acid which is the last carbon atom the methyl group yeah so what happens in omega oxidation is the methyl group or the omega carbon atom of the fatty acid is going to be oxidized and you end up after, so at the end of uh, omega oxidation you basically have a fatty acid which has two carboxylic groups on either end instead of a methyl group it has now two carboxylic groups on either end and this is called as a dicarboxylic acid now omega oxidation becomes important in children so normally beta oxidation is the ma major pathway and very small amounts of omega oxidation happen in other words this is typically a minor pathway of fatty acid oxidation yeah so when there is a defect in beta oxidation 
as in children with MCAT deficiency, what happens is fatty acids move more into, so they are shunted more towards the minor pathway and therefore these children have presence of dicarboxylic acids in the urine. So basically what happens is the major pathway is blocked, so fatty acid move through the detour and that is omega oxidation. That is basically a minor pathway, but since your major pathway is blocked, there is more shunting through the detour to form dicarboxylic acids. So this is the explanation of presence of dicarboxylic acids in children with MCAT deficiency. Yeah? So more, more, more entry into omega oxidation. Okay, so at this time, what we have done is we have oxidized the fatty acid. We've seen the major pathway and that is beta oxidation. We've also seen minor pathways, so pay attention to the disorders associated with the minor pathways. So fatty acids will undergo beta oxidation in the liver as well as in peripheral tissues to form acetyl-CoA. Now in the peripheral tissues, acetyl-CoA will enter the Krebs cycle to form carbon dioxide and water. In other words, completely oxidized to form energy. Now in the liver also, it will happen. So there will be Krebs cycle too. But more importantly in the liver, acetyl-CoA will serve as a substrate for a group of molecules called as ketone bodies. Yeah? So when you have beta oxidation in the liver, a part of the acetyl-CoA is going to be used for ketogenesis. And remember, the ketone bodies can only be formed in the liver. It can only be formed in the liver. You cannot, no one else can make ketone bodies. It's only the liver that can make ketone bodies. Yeah? So this will be the next part of our lecture. So basically ketone bodies are a group of molecules which are formed from acetyl-CoA. They're formed only in the liver. They're formed in the liver, but liver cannot utilize ketone bodies. That's interesting, yeah? So they just make it. They, they can't use it. So wh why do they make it? So the liver makes ketone bodies, and these ketone bodies can now be used by the peripheral tissues. They put it out into the blood and it can be used by the peripheral tissues. It can be used by muscle, both skeletal and cardiac. Besides that, ketone bodies can also be used by the brain. And this is super important during the fasting, especially in the prolonged fasting state. So the liver makes ketone bodies. It does beta oxidation, makes ketone bodies and now supplies it to the peripheral tissue like the muscle as well as the brain typically which becomes more important during prolonged fasting. Yeah? So you will find that ketogenesis is kind of, kind of silly because you, know, you, you feel like why is the liver first breaking it and then again making it. But the whole point of ketogenesis is to be able to supply the brain with an alternate fuel source other than glucose. And this alternate fuel source, remember, ketone bodies are coming from fatty acids. They're coming from fatty acids. Whereas, what's the main fuel for the brain? Glucose. So glucose in the fasting state, how do you make glucose in the fasting state? Gluconeogenesis, yeah? And what is the substrate for gluconeogenesis? Not sure? What is the substrate? When you're in the fasting state, 
who will provide carbon atoms for gluconeogenesis? Muscle. What in the muscle? Amino acid or protein in the muscle. So remember, the glucose in, that you maintain during the fasting state is derived from protein or amino acids coming from the muscle or basically derived from protein. Now, when the brain shifts to ketone bodies, what, what starts happening is you start sparing your protein. So this is one of the important jobs of ketone bodies. So to spare the muscle protein so that you don't have to do as much gluconeogenesis in the fasting state. So ketone bodies, the liver makes ketone bodies so that the brain can now use a fuel source from fatty acid because you have almost unlimited amounts of fatty acid. And what the body is trying to do is it's trying to prolong survival by sparing the muscle protein. So ketone bodies are said to have a muscle protein sparing effect or if you want to make it as a wider term, as a protein sparing effect. Because the job of protein, remember there are many jobs for the protein. You don't want to use it for energy or to make glucose. Yeah? So you're trying to spare the protein so that they can do their important jobs. Whereas fatty acid, the main job of a fatty acid is to make sure that you have enough of energy. So you're trying to use a fuel source from fatty acids and trying to spare muscle protein or protein. Okay? So ketone bodies are basically formed to spare your muscle protein or to spare protein for other functions. Okay? Now if you think about the ketone bodies, there are basically three molecules that have to come to your mind. The most important, the most abundant is beta-hydroxybutyrate, also known as 3-hydroxybutyrate. 3-hydroxybutyrate is derived from acetoacetate. And when you have too much of acetoacetate formation, that is in patients with ketoacidosis, you find the formation of the third ketone body, and that is acetone. So basically, there are three ketone bodies, acetoacetate, the most important and the most abundant is 3-hydroxybutyrate and acetone, which is basically formed from acetoacetate. So out of the three, concentrate on the first two and the second one that has been highlighted. That's the most abundant. Okay? Now, they're formed in the liver, and acetoacetate and 3-hydroxybutyrate are utilized by the peripheral tissues. And when I say peripheral tissues, it means the muscle as well as the brain. Okay? Acetone is a dead-end product. We, we have no mechanism to metabolize acetone. So acetone is, has to be lost either in the lungs or in the urine. And typically you find high levels of acetone in patients who have too much production of ketone bodies or ketoacidosis. Okay? So let's see the pathway of ketogenesis. Remember, it happens in the liver. And in the liver, it happens within the mitochondria of the liver. Okay? So what we have seen in the last class is fatty acids are going to be broken down into acetyl-CoA by beta-oxidation. So you, when you do beta-oxidation, remember, you are accumulating a lot of acetyl-CoA. Now, two of the acetyl-CoA will condense again to form acetoacetyl-CoA. The third acetyl-CoA will condense again to form HMG-CoA. The enzyme is HMG-CoA synthase. Have you heard of this enzyme? Where is that? Cholesterol synthesis. How is this different from cholesterol synthesis? 
<coughs> HMG coa synthase for ketogenesis is within the mitochondria. So this is within the mitochondria, whereas HMG coa synthase for cholesterol formation is in the cytosol. Okay. Now HMG coa is next going to be broken down by a lyase into the first ketone body, and that is acetoacetate. Now remember, when you do beta oxidation, what happens is NADH is formed. In other words, there is going to be high levels of NADH to NAD plus ratio. So NADH to NAD plus ratio is increased. And under this situation, what happens is acetoacetate will be converted into 3-hydroxybutyrate. The enzyme is a dehydrogenase. Okay? So basically what you're trying to do is get rid of the NADH and convert and form 3-hydroxybutyrate. So whenever the NADH to NAD plus ratio is high, you will find that acetoacetate preferentially forms 3-hydroxybutyrate. And most of the time, when you produce too much of ketone bodies, most of the time, that is, that is increased beta oxidation, and this will increase the NADH to NAD plus ratio. And as a result, we say that 3-hydroxybutyrate is the major ketone body. Now there is one more ketone body that we haven't mentioned and that is derived from acetoacetate. There is no enzyme. It is a spontaneous non-enzymatic reaction. Spontaneous non-enzymatic reaction to form acetone. But remember, acetone cannot be used by the peripheral tissues. So once you form acetone, it is lost in the lungs or sometimes in the urine. Okay. So I think the same thing has been explained and we explained why is 3-hydroxybutyrate the major ketone body. That's because the NADH by NAD plus ratio is typically high whenever there is more of beta oxidation. Okay? We also talked about acetone which is typically lost in the lungs when there is uh, or when a patient has too much of ketogenesis or when there is ketoacidosis. Okay? So now the liver has made the ketone bodies. Remember, the liver, once it makes the ketone body, it's going to send it into the blood, and these ketone bodies will be utilized by the muscle, skeletal as well as cardiac muscle. And it can also be importantly used by the brain. Remember, brain cannot do beta oxidation, but now what it's trying to do is utilize the ketone bodies, which are basically generated by beta oxidation in the liver. Okay, so brain cannot directly use fatty acids or cannot directly do beta oxidation. But what you're trying to give the brain is an alternate fuel source which is derived from fat rather than amino acid. Yeah? And this is the most important job of making the ketone bodies. That is, you're trying to save the muscle protein or you're trying to spare the protein for important jobs and try to use fatty acids which are later converted to ketone bodies and give the brain an alternate fuel source, typically in prolonged fasting. Okay. Now this enzyme is super important. It has a very long name. Yeah, and you must have realized now, the longer the name, the more important. Yeah. So this is your <laughs> so succinyl-CoA, acetoacetate-CoA transferase, also called as thiophorase, which is present only in the peripheral tissues. The liver does not have this enzyme, and therefore it cannot utilize the ketone bodies. 
So it's quite intelligent, yeah? The body is quite intelligent. Okay, so if you want to think about utilization of the ketone bodies, so basically what you did in the liver is just the opposite of that, yeah? So 3-hydroxybutyrate, which is your major ketone body, is going to be converted to acetoacetate. NADH will enter into the electron transport chain. The same enzyme, 3-hydroxybutyrate dehydrogenase. The next one is super important. Acetoacetate is going to be activated into acetoacetyl-CoA. Who donates the coenzyme A is succinyl-CoA, and this is coming from the Krebs cycle. Okay, succinyl-CoA from the Krebs cycle. So if you think about this reaction, basically what's happening is the coenzyme A is transferred to acetoacetate to form acetoacetyl-CoA. Okay? And therefore this enzyme is sometimes called a CoA transferase. So the coenzyme A is transferred from succinyl-CoA to acetoacetate to form acetoacetyl-CoA. And of course the other product is succinate. Now this is an activated ketone body, acetoacetyl-CoA. The next enzyme that acts is thiolase, breaks down the acetoacetyl-CoA into two molecules of acetyl-CoA, and this will then enter into the Krebs cycle. Okay? Now, as I told you, this enzyme is super important, thiophorase, out of all these listed. Thiophorase is present only in the peripheral tissues, and never in the liver, and therefore the liver cannot utilize. So that's like a super important, you have to know that. That's why liver cannot utilize the ketone bodies. Okay. Now similarly, if you look, look at ketogenesis, the enzyme HMG-CoA lyase is present only in the liver and not in the peripheral tissues. Yeah? So HMG-CoA lyase that you saw under ketogenesis is present only in the liver and not in the peripheral tissues. Okay. Now, this graph is an important graph, so pay attention to it. You're going to come to it again at the end of this week in the feed-fast cycle. Now, I want you all to look at this graph. There are important metabolites. So this is a person who has been fasting from, so this is the beginning of the fast to 40 days of fasting or starvation. So there are important changes that occur. So first let us look at this one. Blood glucose at the beginning of the fast was around 5. So that's the normal blood glucose level. Now by the third day of the fast, you find that the, the, there is a drop in the blood glucose level, but it's at the lower limit of normal. So it's still normal, but at the lower limit of normal. Now this important change, what happens here is there is going to be a reduction in gluconeogenesis and as a result there is what's called as reduction in the blood glucose level and this will be reduced until the person stops fasting or is given food. Yeah? So that is an important change that occurs. This reduction in blood glucose level is, is very critical because glucose after the first day of fasting what is the donation or who donates the, which pathway forms glucose after the first day? It's only gluconeogenesis. Remember the source of gluconeogenesis is, or the carbon atoms from, for gluconeogenesis are coming from amino acids. Yeah? So what happens after the third day is there is going to be reduced requirement for gluconeogenesis 
and as a result the body tries to save protein so protein conservation is is critical and this typically occurs from the third to fifth day of starvation now at the same time look at the next metabolite here this is fatty acid free fatty acids in the blood are derived from which tissue from the adipose tissue what enzyme liberates that hormone sensitive lipase yeah so note that at the beginning of the fast the levels were low but they keep increasing and after the third to fifth day you have a constant presence of free fatty acid in the blood in other words there is elevated free fatty acids in the blood so that's the black line now today look at the blue lines here the blue or the green lines this is acetoacetate which increases but note the marked increase in 3 hydroxybutyrate or beta hydroxybutyrate in other words in the fasting state the major ketone body in the circulation is 3 hydroxybutyrate produced by the liver also note that by the third day so that's your third from the third to fifth day look at the levels of the ketone bodies in the blood they're quite high and at this time the brain can start utilizing the ketone bodies so the brain starts utilizing the ketone bodies the requirement for glucose decreases and there is a simultaneous reduction in the blood glucose level yeah and this critical shift happens from the third to the fifth day of prolonged prolonged fasting or starvation so what what happens at this critical stage is the brain shifts to ketone bodies and the, if you look at the utilization of glucose by the brain it basically there is a reduction of glucose utilization by the brain so in very prolonged fasting if you continue beyond the fifth day you will find that about 60% of the energy requirement for the brain is coming from ketone bodies so quite a big shift and that uh, adaptation is important for survival yeah because the more the more protein you conserve the better is the survival yeah all of yeah this is coming from gluconeogenesis and the source of the carbon atoms is amino acids and this group of amino acids what are they called amino acids which give glucose are called as the glucogenic amino acids yeah so all the glucogenic amino acids can contribute to gluconeogenesis or maintenance of blood glucose levels okay now in the next part of the lecture we'll try to explain why is there increased ketogenesis during fasting now remember the ketone bodies are ultimately derived from fatty acids the fatty acids are coming from your adipose tissue so what happens during the fasting state or during starvation is there is a reduction in insulin glucagon ratio the low the lower levels of insulin is going to activate hormone sensitive lipase so hormone sensitive lipase is in a phosphorylated state more of it is in the phosphorylated state there is increased lipolysis and this will result in increased fatty acids in the blood so when there is increased fatty acids in the blood there is going to be more beta oxidation in the liver okay which will later result in ketone body production and if it is too much it can sometimes cause ketoacidosis so the next slide will explain how when we have high levels of free fatty acids in the blood 
how do we produce more of ketone bodies so what basically happens in starvation in the liver okay now to explain the regulation of or to explain ketogenesis during the fasting state this is the um, picture that i would like to use the the numbers on this picture the explanation for that has been given on the next slide so you don't have to write it okay so in the fasting state so if you look at this picture it begins with high levels of fatty acids so in the liver there is increased entry of fatty acids and where are these fatty acids coming from from adipose tissue so there is basically the fatty acids is increased in the liver because of increased lipolysis in the adipose tissue increased activity of hormone sensitive lipase because your insulin glucagon ratio is low now in the fasting state remember there is low levels of malonyl coa malonyl coa is an intermediate of fatty acid synthesis so what happens in the fasting state is there is less of fatty acid synthesis less of malonyl coa and this in turn is going to activate cpt1 so what's happening in the liver is there is going to be more entry of the fatty acids into the matrix of the mitochondria and that is where beta oxidation is going to happen so there is going to be more fatty acids in the matrix of the mitochondria they undergo beta oxidation yeah so the rate of beta oxidation is going to be quite high in the fasting state because cpt1 is going to allow fatty acids to enter into the matrix now when you do beta oxidation remember you form fad fadh2 and nadh these in turn will form atp by the electron transport chain okay so when there is beta oxidation remember there is going to be lot of atp production in other words there is going to be lot of nadh production and when you have more of atp and nadh what do you think is going to happen to your krebs cycle your krebs cycle so if you look at the krebs cycle at this point the krebs cycle is somewhat inhibited because you have more of atp and you have more of nadh so that is going to somewhat inhibit the krebs cycle and that's why this dashed line so the krebs cycle is somewhat inhibited now there is one more reason why the krebs cycle is not as active in the liver and that is what happens in the fasting state is oxaloacetate is converted to malate and malate is going to be used for gluconeogenesis you remember that malate is the substrate for gluconeogenesis so what happens during the fasting state is number 4 that is gluconeogenesis is going to be active and intermediates of the krebs cycle are going to be used for gluconeogenesis and this is the second reason why the tca cycle is not super active it's somewhat inhibited in the liver so two reasons is beta oxidation forms atp and nadh which will inhibit the krebs cycle because krebs cycle the main job is to form nadh so when you have too much of atp or nadh the krebs cycle is somewhat inhibited it's it's kind of suppressed besides that the intermediates of the krebs cycle are also being channeled to gluconeogenesis and as a result the the krebs cycle there are not enough intermediates at this point okay so where will the acetyl coa go so you have done beta oxidation you have formed acetyl coa but at this point krebs cycle is not as functional 
So where will this acetyl CoA go? It will go into the alternate pathway that is ketone body synthesis or ketogenesis. Okay. And since the NADH level is high, it forms acetoacetate will be converted into 3-hydroxybutyrate, which is the major ketone body. Okay. So all of these happen simultaneously. Note the multiple levels of regulation and, and finally there is too much of ketone body production. Now if this is very, very tightly regulated, the ketone body production is within the normal limits, but if it becomes kind of excessive, then sometimes patients with, um, in the fasting state could have too much of ketogenesis, typically in prolonged fasting. Yeah. So basically what's happening is there is more channeling of acetyl-CoA towards ketogenesis. Okay. So all of that is explained in the next slide. So, and I've labeled the number two. So anything you want me to explain again before we move on or you're good? Okay. Now note that the TCA, the, uh, sorry, note that the, the, you, you see that there is coming together of many pathways on that slide. You're, you're looking at the Krebs cycle, you're looking at gluconeogenesis and beta oxidation and trying to realize all the intricate interrelationship between the various pathways. Okay? And we explained the protein sparing effect of the ketone bodies. Okay? So that's basically what I was trying to explain at that point. Now, I just want, many students are confused with this one. Okay? Now, if we ask you, what is the source of carbon atoms for gluconeogenesis, if there is a fatty acid, never pick up the fatty acid. Fatty acid provides ATP, it provides acetyl-CoA to activate gluconeogenesis, but does not directly give the carbon atoms. So, never say fatty acid, never say acetyl-CoA. So, you're looking for glucogenic amino acids. Okay? So, whenever we say prolonged fasting, and, and the blood glucose level is maintained, you will think about gluconeogenesis. The substrate will never be acetyl-CoA. It will never be a fatty acid. Always look for a glucogenic amino acid. And what are the glucogenic amino acids? You're going to learn from tomorrow. Yeah? So amino acid metabolism will begin tomorrow. So pay attention to those. Okay. So what is the other situation that you have seen? And I think you've seen it through term one and now through term two. And that is a patient with diabetes mellitus, typically type one diabetes mellitus. So this is a typically a young patient and she is admitted with ketoacidotic coma. Now, she was dehydrated. Why is there dehydration? Because of the polyuria, the glucosuria loss of water. So that is the explanation for the dehydration. The dehydration results in low blood volume. The blood pressure was low. Breathing was deep and rapid. We have to explain that today. You, you know the explanation, but we want to explain it more. Plasma glucose was 400 mg per DL. So what does that tell you? That is hyperglycemia. Yeah? So hyperglycemia, in other words, diabetic, uncontrolled diabetes. Arterial blood pH is much below normal. So this is acidosis. What kind of acidosis is this? Metabolic acidosis. What happens in metabolic acidosis? 
the blood ph is low what are the parameter you looking for low bicarb so we our job is to explain why is the bicarbonate levels low in this in this patient now if you look at the structure of ketone bodies they're the named ketone bodies but they actually weak acids they're keto acids now when you when you make a ketone body or a keto acid what happens is a proton is also released at the same time now this proton will be buffered by the major buffer and that is bicarbonate so in this patient if you look at the bicarbonate levels you find that the serum bicarbonate is very low that's because bicarbonate is lost by buffering the ketone bodies and ketone bodies remember are weak acids they give off protons in solution or in the blood the blood ketone body levels in this patient is very high so that is ketonemia and the urine was positive for ketones so that's the dipstick test for ketones in the urine so that's the normal color if you find a pinkish color most of these dipstick tests uh, detect 3 hydroxybutyrate but sometimes the dipstick can also detect acetoacetate so make sure what you're detecting whenever you use these dipsticks okay so there is ketonemia these are tiny molecules so they can be easily lost in the urine so basically the patient has ketonuria also ketones in the urine now why is this patient having ketoacidosis or why is there high uh, excessive production of ketone bodies in this patient now this is a patient with type 1 diabetes mellitus what do you comment on the insulin levels the insulin level is very low yeah the or sometimes even almost absent yeah so when there is so low levels of insulin who is going to be super active the hormone sensitive lipase so what happens is the absence of insulin or the presence of very low or almost you know you can't even detect the levels of insulin so almost undetectable levels of insulin the hormone sensitive lipase is very happy yeah no one to inhibit it it's it's like you know like you're the free bird you felt like you felt that ever in your life like at 16 or at 18 suddenly no parent ah, i'm you know that's what the hormones <laughs> that's what the hormone sensitive lipase is feeling no one to control okay so it it keeps breaking down your tag breaks down tag too much release of free fatty acid so it's almost an uncontrolled i hope none of y'all had to go through that okay or your parents yeah so hormone sensitive lipase super active and as a result there is too much of free fatty acids in the blood too much free fatty acid in the blood these free fatty acids go to the liver the liver doesn't know what to do with it it starts oxidizing it so there is too much of beta oxidation too much production of acetyl coa now what happens to the tca cycle in a patient with ketoacidosis or uh, what happens to gluconeogenesis in this patient what do you think is going to happen to gluconeogenesis in the liver so remember the blood glucose level is very high and who is making this glucose is the liver so remember in these patients the blood glucose level is high because of too much gluconeogenesis so the gluconeogenesis in the liver is normally inhibited by insulin but absence of insulin is going to activate gluconeogenesis 
So there is going to be too much of gluconeogenesis in the liver. So all of the acetyl-CoA that is formed is now going to be, it's not, it cannot be, or there is very little of the Krebs cycle happening. All of it is going to be channeled to the formation of ketone bodies. In other words, there is going to be too much production of the ketone bodies. That's because the TCA cycle is not functional as, uh, as much. Because the TCA cycle is more concentrated on, on sending intermediates for gluconeogenesis. Okay. We explain what is ketonuria, presence of ketone bodies in the urine. And ketone bodies, are, they're, they're basically keto acids. They form protons. And these protons are buffered by bicarbonate. So that's why the serum bicarbonate levels are quite low in patients with diabetic ketoacidosis. What kind of acidosis, metabolic acidosis is this? What kind? Ha, yeah, high anion gap. What does that mean? So this is a classical example of high anion gap acidosis. Yeah? So you can go back and try to review what is high anion gap acidosis. That's because of these ketone bodies, which are basically anions. So there is going to be too much of ketone bodies. Remember, ketone bodies are um, an anions, and they are responsible for the high anion gap acidosis. Okay. So if you look at the ketone body levels, they are very high, especially 3-hydroxybutyrate, which is the major ketone body. The fruity order of the breath is because of acetone. Fruity odor is sometimes dis described as the nail varnish odor, yeah? so, or the nail polish remover odor. And the hyperventilation is because of compensation. Okay? Now, we'll answer these two questions. What is this one? So ketoacidosis is more common with type 1, but not in type 2. Why? Because insulin is still present, and that level of insulin that's present in type 2 is sufficient to inhibit the hormone-sensitive lipase. And this one, the next question. So you find ketoacidosis in a patient. How do you say it's prolonged fasting and not ketoacidosis? Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're insulin resistant, but still there is activity. There is still, it's not like it's not like it's not active at all. There is still some activity. That's a good question. I, I'd like to add to it, but come to me at the end of the class. And, and tell me the next answer. How do you differentiate between ketoacidosis and prolonged fasting? They typically have normal glucose or low blood glucose, whereas in ketoacidosis, hyper or increased blood glucose. Okay, so that's how you differentiate. Of course, the ketoacidosis is much more severe in a diabetic when you compare it to prolonged fasting. Okay? So are we able to explain why is the ketone bodies below normal in a child with MCAT deficiency? So you're able to explain? So we have learned that beta, you need beta oxidation to form acetyl-CoA which is the substrate for ketogenesis. So when beta oxidation is defective, you don't have enough acetyl-CoA to form ketone bodies. Okay? So there is typically these children have hypoketosis. Okay? And that is what I've explained here.
Now, it's, this is for your interest. So ketogenic diets have been tried as weight loss diets. So basically, your food should contain more of fat than carbohydrates. It has also been used in the management of epilepsy, especially in children. Ketogenic diets have seen. Um, so when you institute ketogenic diets, the number of seizures and the episodes of seizures is much less than on a high-carbohydrate diet. Okay, so this is just for your interest. I think there are a few questions before we call it a day. And I think this is your last lecture on, on lipid metabolism. You realize that? Okay. Good? Okay. You begin with amino acid tomorrow. <laughs> More good news, huh? But, but for your, I think, did you realize that we kept only three lectures today and three lectures tomorrow? That's just to make sure you have that extra hour to go back and review, yeah? <laughs> yeah, we thought about it. Because what happened last time was, at the end they were like, ah, don't tell me anymore. So then we thought, okay, no, you go back, <laughs> yeah? <laughs> regenerate and come back again. Okay, did you answer this question? Okay, a little more time. So which is the major ketone body? That is 3-hydroxybutyrate. And that's what your dipstick is going to detect. Okay? Free fatty acid is not a ketone body. Okay? So you want to go... Thank God... Okay, no one wrote glucose. I'm so happy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This one. Not an easy question. You need more time? Okay. That's very good. And who does this? Free fatty acid is by hormone sensitive lipase. Okay. Now answer this one. Okay, any more answers? Okay, let's... Huh, this one is a tougher question. What happens to lipolysis in the adipose tissue? Is normal in these children. Hormone-sensitive lipase activity is normal. Liver glycogenolysis is not affected. What is affected? Is gluconeogenesis in the liver. Okay? So this is a very a thought-provoking question. Okay? Blood glucose level is actually decreased or hypoglycemia. There is decreased beta oxidation in the liver. Okay? 
So let's, um, this is just a comparison and for you all to think about. Many people, many students tend to get mixed up with citrate and carnitine. Both begin with the same alphabet, so don't get mixed up, okay? And this is for your review. Have a nice day and you have one more lecture from Dr. Mayer. Thank you. Thank you.